my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and I'm excited that you're here this morning. Um, it, it's a little, you know, you're sitting beside people this morning, which is nice. You're getting to know some people. Uh, you didn't even have to go far to say hello to somebody this morning, uh, which is great. So we're um, in a series that we started last week, and the only thing that you need to know last week is we looked at the life of Peter and the reality that Peter, in spite of being very close to Jesus, and in spite of Jesus telling him things that were going to happen, he doubted him and said, oh, no, 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 this is going to happen. He actually rebuked Jesus, which is funny to us. But like in the same scenario, when you're looking at your personal Messiah saying, hey, hey guys, guys, in just a few days, I'm going to die. Um, so, of course, Peter said, no, no, that's not going to happen. And, uh, of course, you know, the famous kind of thing um, where he got called Satan. Like, get behind me, Satan, which is never a good day. I mean, anytime Jesus refers to you as Satan, it's a bad day. We all agree on that one. Okay, and so that idea is that we can be so close to the things of God and, and feel like we have everything kind of dialed in and still miss the voice of God going, this is what I've asked of you. And you go, oh, oh good. That sounds great, Jesus, but I'm going to do this. And we think that's all right. That's why our series is called His Way. And in this Sunday, we're going to look at the reality that everything rises and falls on today. There, there is no church without the resurrection. There is no hope of anything without what we're celebrating today. And so before I get into that, I just want to pray again. Um, Father... My words are insufficient, but your words are not. So, Lord, I pray that you speak this morning, Lord, that you um, hit at our heart and our desire to surrender to you. Lord, we ask right now that you forgive the heart of us that wants to work to earn your love. We want to be men and women that see the greatest gift that's ever been presented to us and receive it with humility. And surrender. And seeing that gift that we would trust you with the rest of our lives. So Lord we pray over the word that is going to be spoken today. Not my words but your words. And I pray that they communicate to us your heart. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. The beauty of today simply put is that we cannot but he can. I'm going to confess a little bit here. I do this occasionally. You just never know what's going to come out of your pastor's mouth when he says that. Uh, nothing too bad. Um, I, I am a person that has spent most of his life working hard to earn things. Working hard to earn others' love. Working hard to learn or earn other people's trust. Earn other people's respect and, of course, working hard to earn a paycheck. I mean, it's kind of my dad, I had a dad that, you know, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it right. You're going to work hard at it. You're going to get up early. You're going to get this done. And, and that's, you know, kind of the American way is you can have nothing and you work hard and you can earn the good life. You can earn um, Whatever that you want, if you set your mind to it, the danger with that and the danger that I'm going to confess to that is that that can easily transfer into our Christianity. 
Because the good thing on the American side is that if you do that, you can pat yourself on the back and say, look what I did. Like I, I have at the end of uh, like my, my grandparents, my grandfather died um, four months before they would have been married 70 years. And so at the end of his life, he could go success. He could pat himself on the back and like not many people in our world has made it to this milestone. And he can go look at what we did. If you've if you've started with nothing, working a, a dead end job and you've educated yourself and worked hard and you've gotten a good job and, and you've built stuff around yourself and going, man, look at the life that we have now because of what you've earned. You can pat yourself on the back and go, look what I've done. The problem with that is, is that we do the same thing with Jesus. Is that we get associated to the things of God. We, we come to church and we hear some things and we go, okay, Jesus is smarter than I am and I, I want to make sure that I'm on his good side. And so we spend a fair amount of our life trying to earn his love. And part of the reasons why we at times don't submit and, 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 and receive what Jesus has for us is because we feel bad in ourselves that we're not living up to a standard that we could never live up to. I mean, I've done it. I've spent a lot of the 25 years of saying yes to Jesus coming to, you know, having a bad week because of what I did. Thinking that what I did is hindering the love and affection and mercy from the father that did what I could not on the cross. And so this morning, this simply put, what I want to wrestle with and, and, and get at the end of this is that today for Jesus was a day of sacrifice. For us, today is a day of surrender. Not of leave here and do better. Because you can't. Because you can't. Like you, you're outside of the grace and mercy, outside of really resting in that reality, you will strive to be what you're supposed to be, never getting there because you're trying on your own effort and energy. And so I want to start in, uh, I, I think, a great place, Ephesians 2, 8, which um, you've probably heard if you've been around church, it's, it's really uh, the, the, the pinnacle of this kind of thought. So Ephesians 2, 8, um, 8 starts, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, 9, not the result, results of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The key is, sometimes we just use Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and go, yes, it is grace, it is grace alone. You know, once you say yes to Jesus, do whatever you want because you skip 10, which 10 is the pinnacle. Jesus sets you free so that you can. So the works that we do are not as a way of earning his love and respect and honor from him. It is for us to honor him by what we do because of what he's already done in us. And so where I want to jump into now is Luke 23. And we're going to be in Luke for the rest of the time, 23 and 24. And, and look at one scenario 
which really you've probably heard about it, the thief on the cross. It's something if you've been in church, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is why I tell anytime I preach a topic or a scripture that people are familiar with, do not check your brain at the door. Do not go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I know, I know right where he's going. Yes, the thief on the cross, and this is what's going to happen. When we do that, we miss what God's trying to do in the moment. So leading up to this place, so Jesus, after we read last week about Jesus telling Peter that I'm going to go, this is going to happen, and, and, and Peter rebukes him, and then later on, Jesus says, all of you are going to disappear. All of you are going to run away, and, and Peter, I love Peter. Peter's like, if I have to die I'll die. And he's like, no, no, no. Before the end of the night, you're going to reject me. You're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, I'm not. Like, I'm just telling you, if Jesus tells you something, there is, it's like our, our children, will, they love to argue something that I saw or I witnessed. They're like, it didn't happen. I'm like, let's just come to terms that if we were face to face and I saw something, then it happened. There's no debate in it. Same thing with Jesus' words. When they are spoken, they happen. And so Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do, which was go to the cross. And the thing that you have to understand, which I dealt with early on in, in, in my kind of, I grew up in the Christian world and around church, and, and I was always angry at, at Easter because they took Jesus and they killed this innocent man. And, and, and I was angry because people did this to Jesus, which they did. But the thing that you need to know leading up to what we're going to talk about today, that Jesus wasn't put on the cross. He chose the cross. The cross wasn't the end of this miraculous, spirit-filled ministry of this great moral teacher. The cross was the point of his coming to earth. Period. Everything that he did from day one was leading to this moment. Hebrews says, do not be deceived. There will not be forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There will not. We cannot be forgiven without the shedding of blood. The beauty of the cross is that Jesus became that sacrifice for us. So he's beaten and abused, even though the, the, the pilot is doing everything in his power to set him free. Everything, even going, hey, let's, it, it's, it, it's in our tradition that we release a criminal. And the, the community was like, no, we want Jesus. And they release a known murderer. A known, actually, the things that they're accusing Jesus of, that he was leading an insurrection. He was trying to overthrow the government. And he gets arrested for that and they release him. And Jesus was beaten and abused and led to the cross, carried his cross was nailed to it. Like, I've always... Can you imagine having the power to get out of anything? Anything. No one could do anything to you that you didn't want happen. Imagine having the power that created this world, that holds everything together, that spoke us into existence, and submitting yourself to the creation to be whipped and abused and mocked and punched and put on purple clothes and a crown of thorns and, and willingly allowing yourself to be nailed to the cross because there is no 
Easter, there is no joy, there is no peace, there is no mercy without the cross. And so Jesus is on the cross between two other criminals. In verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanging rallied or railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, 41, and we indeed justly. So here's two criminals on each side of Jesus. One going, save us. If you're the Christ, remove yourself from the cross and take us with you. And the other one is going, dude. He didn't say that. That's not in the Bible. My wife's always like, why do you say dude? He looks at the other guy and he's like, do you not realize that this man is here? Not like we are, because we're here on the cross because it is our due penalty for what we did. He's sitting there on the cross having this conversation with the other criminal. Said we and we. Indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due rewards for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I mean, can you imagine the gravity of understanding that this criminal on a cross had that his disciples who did desert him? who did run away, who did leave. Some are lingering in the distance, but none of them are waiting for this moment. And this man on the cross, understanding that he's getting exactly what he deserved and looking to Jesus, just saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, think about this. And we think, because we understand, maybe not understand, but we know the, the idea that Jesus is preparing his kingdom and his kingdom wasn't an earthly kingdom. But here's a man that did not understand that. No one else, his disciples were trying to free him, cut like Peter cut off the guy's ear because they didn't want Jesus to go to the cross because they wanted a earthly king and an earthly kingdom. And here's a thief on the cross looking at the savior of the world and saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom, because he got what was happening. Death was not the end of the kingdom of God. In verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sunlight failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Let me let me explain this. And one of the other gospels says that it, it was rent from top to bottom. And you're like, man, a curtain? Okay, look, he's, here's a curtain. We'll just go on back. Look, look what we got back here. So the the curtain in the temple, and why this is a big deal, the the curtain, they built the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was. Now that bothers me, I can't have that there. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I I know y'all were going to be looking at it the whole time. The presence of God was hidden behind the curtain. And, 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 and you couldn't go into there. Only one priest was allowed in there yearly to kind of clean up things. And, and he may or may not have had a rope on him. Just leave that out in case he died. But 
there was nothing. We, we could not enter into the presence of God pre-crucifixion. And so what's happening is, as Jesus is giving His life, He is opening the presence of God from top to bottom. It wasn't like, you know, oh man, that fabric was... I mean, you're talking, if you've read through the Old Testament, like if you're reading the one-year Bible... When they get to talking about how thick this curtain is and what it's made of, like, it's not just going to, like, fall apart. Like, it was poor. Like, if I sewed it, it wouldn't have fell apart. It would have fallen apart. Because God was speaking to his people that I'm, I'm opening a way for you to enter into the presence of God. Then in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit on his terms. And having said this, he breathed his last. And check this out. The same people that were mocking him, the same people that were there, you know, looking at the spectacle, coming to see the miracle man killed on the cross. It says, now when the centurion, one of the guards, maybe even one of the guards that was paying, you know, rolling dice to see which one would get the clothes. Because they did that. Maybe one of the ones that, you know, put the crown on him. Maybe one of the ones that put the purple cloth on him. Maybe one of the guys, when they closed his eye, punched him and told him to prophesy who did it. It says, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God. Saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for their for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their chest. The same people that were standing in the courtyard. Yelling for him to be crucified. The same people potentially that were in the courtyard saying when Pilate wanted to wash his hands of it, they say, put it on us and our children. In that reality are walking away, beating their chest because they're beginning to realize what just happened. Let me go back to the thief on the cross. There, there are some... Christian religions that teach that if you're um, you're not saved, that you don't go to heaven, which we're for. Like, no, like, ooh, what's he going to say? There's some that say if you're not baptized, like, you don't get into heaven. I think the thief on the cross ruins a lot of our work mentality, a lot of our do better mentality, a lot of our, you know, make sure you drop something in that beautiful little bin on your way out if you want God to bless you. I mean, we intentionally don't pass a plate. If you want to give here, give. But like our heart isn't you give so that God will love you more. But a lot of the American church thinks that way. If I do more, like if I want to get blessed. I mean, there's preachers on the TV that's like, sow your thousand dollar seed. And then you'll get a blessing or a prayer shawl. Forget that mess. There is nothing externally that you're going to do that is going to take the curtain down. That's going to allow you into the presence other than the work of Jesus on the cross. 
Now, the thief teaches us some lessons. He teaches one is that you have to come to terms with your inability. To save yourself. He acknowledged I am here on this cross because of what I did. He's not blaming someone else. He's not like, you know, my dad this and my work that. And, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have got a speeding ticket if those people weren't going so slow and I had to pass them. Whatever. There was nothing in him that was trying to prove himself. He wasn't saying, hey, Jesus, if you could let me down for like 30 minutes, I'll go do a good deed to the, you know, to the widow and the orphan. And then I'll come back and I'll be ready. That one acknowledgement, I cannot. But you can. It's what set him free and is where he got the words from Jesus that today you and I will be in paradise. That's it. This is where Jesus was going. He was bringing freedom to a people that could not free themselves. I'm just telling you, it's it's sometimes really difficult in the church, to not live like this. I mean, I did for so much of my life. I, d- I just wanted to be a good kid so that I would be loved by Jesus. I got sprinkled because I was in a church that sprinkles. Nothing against that. I got sprinkled when I was 16 because I thought, if I, you know, I'm going to start driving. And when you're driving, you know, you're a whole lot more likely to die. Because, you know, a couple thousand pounds going at X amount of speed, another car, bah, you know. So I thought, I'm going to confer- I'm going to make sure that I get in. And so that meant that I needed, I needed to get baptized so that if I died, which I was a little morbid kid. I really thought I was going to die before I turned 18. But anyway, I'm still here. Um, but I wanted to have that, like, I got my baptism card. Like, if I died in the car wreck, you know, I could get to heaven and be like, Jesus. Like, I got baptized. And, and because we, we get that mentality that you have to. The beginning of every good work is surrender. See, this, this is not the message that it's like, you know, love Jesus, say yes to Jesus and do whatever you want. No. The message today is that there's nothing that's going to get you there other than the cross. And that in that position, God will use you to transform our city. He will use you to transform your family. He will use you to transform your kids' lives. See, the beauty of this so far is the cross is awesome, but it is nothing without the resurrection. The cross, if there was not a resurrection, he would have been a good man that died... Period. The resurrection showed us that what he said all through his ministry was true. He is the only religious leader that has defeated death. He is the only one. And today isn't the place I've had some sermons where we literally go through all the the swoon theories and all these other things. But like maybe he isn't dead. I mean, the reality is there's great research done by great people that You cannot historically challenge that he died and that he disappeared. And there's lots of things. I'm not going to get into that day. I'm sorry. You're just going to 
have a little faith, faith with me this morning. So we're going to jump forward to Luke 24, starting in verse 1. So Jesus died on the cross. They took his body. They quickly prepared it, not finished it, put him in the tomb, rolled the, um, the stone back over the opening of the tomb. The, the, the Jews of the day were terrified that his disciples were going to steal his body. So they put armed guards marking the tomb. Do not open under the order of. And there's armed guards guarding it all night. And you know what didn't happen Sunday morning, resurrection morning? There was not a worship team waiting for Jesus to open the rock. They weren't sitting there. The lights weren't on. The fog machine wasn't going. They weren't like, just wait, it's coming. No one. No one was there waiting, which, you know, it kills me. But we would be there. I mean, you can say, oh, they were terrified of their life. If they knew that the Messiah was going to raise from the dead, which he told them over and over and over again. You would think even under the penalty of death. They would be there waiting so they could capture the moment. They could put it on Instagram. Didn't have Instagram back there. I know there's no selfies at the tomb. But no one was there. The only people that were connected to Jesus that were there were there to finish the work of preparing his body for burial. They came there to do the work, to finish his preparation for his death. And they got there, verse 1, chapter 24 of Luke, says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, They went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared to finish his body. Not as a celebration spices. These were there for the finish of the preparation. In verse 2 it says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Duh! I mean, it's done to us now because thousands of years later and we, we get it or think we get it. Verse four says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them with dazzling apparel. I mean, like, I cannot wait. I mean, I think and I, this might be sacrilegious, but I think heaven's going to have a theater. And I, I cannot wait to watch this scenario. You know, you know, Jesus, you know, they're recording everything. He knows everything. It's recorded somewhere. I mean, that's a stretch. I know. Just forgive me. But I mean, I, could you imagine this moment where, you know, these ladies that are there to finish his body and they're bringing the spices. It's like hidden camera. And they're like, oh, no, he's not here. And they come outside and <laughs> dazzling apparel. And of course, they're frightened when a people appear out of nowhere regardless of how dazzling they look or not, it's scary. (laughs) In verse 5, it says, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, which I love this, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Mic drop. 
Why? Because he's, he's going, guys, he has told you that this was going to happen for you. And they're still not getting it. In verse 6, it says, he is not here, but has risen. Duh! Remember, and I love this. For all the parents that you know you've told your kids something, they're like, I don't remember you telling me that. It's kind of what the disciples were. It says, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. In verse 8, I love. And they remembered his words. Oh, yes. I, I do remember him saying that. Like when you catch, you know, your kids or something, and you're like, oh, no, no, I don't remember. Oh, oh, here's the recording of that moment. Yeah, yes, I do remember him telling us that. And, and here they are, and, and it, it set this thing in motion. And I, I love that the Bible recorded this way. If you, if you want, just a, this is just for free. If you want to deal with the reality that the Bible was not produced to fool a generation or generations, the first witnesses of his resurrection were women. And you're like, so? Um, women in this day and age were not credible witnesses. They could not go into a court of law and give a testimony that would be listened to. And the first witnesses of the resurrection of our Savior were women. If someone was producing this to fool all you guys, they would have not put women. I, I, I mean, that's just for free. They were there, and they, of course, they're like light bulb on, and there's all the Emmaus Road where, you know, they're, the, the disciples are walking beside Jesus, and they're like, have you not heard what's going on in the city? And, and he just goes along with it. You know, of course, they don't, they can't tell it's him, and then all of a sudden, there's this aha moment. Like, it's you! This is what separates Christianity from every other religion is that we do not have a good moral teacher that has given us a book that says behave, behave and obey this book and, and you'll be okay. You'll reach enlightenment. We have a savior that put on flesh, lived the life that you were called to live, died the death that you were required to give to set you free. So that right now, we can live for Him. That we could deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him daily. Freedom. Freedom is not, <clears throat> and this can be taken horribly, freedom is not obedience. Obedience, hear this, only comes after the exchange. If you obey without the exchange, without that surrender without that you're my lord and savior then you are just obeying rules rules have never earned us anything but the resurrection proves to us a few things one jesus's resurrection was the beginning and guarantee of our resurrection 2 Corinthians 4.14, it says, He who raised the Lord Jesus will also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So his resurrection becomes a, a piece of 
our entering into our own resurrection, the hope that just like Jesus said, it is your benefit that I go away and and I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I wouldn't tell you that I'm going to do that unless it was so. And the next thing is because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are born again into a living hope. First Peter one three. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. He caused us. I think sometimes we think we chose Jesus. It was our work, even in finding him. It it literally the word actually says that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Author means the beginning Perfecter means making it what it's going to be. He caused us to be born again in, sorry, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is, I think, the hardest one to swallow. God secured our justification By raising Jesus from the dead. Justification, justified, literally means made, and this is what's hard to swallow, righteous in the sight of God. I don't know about you, and I say this a lot, but there's there's no occasion that I wake up in the morning and be like, righteousness of God! I don't know, Jody, Jody, that's my wife's name, you don't know. Jody, I don't know if you know this or not, but I am the righteousness of God. She's like then you should act like it more often. <clears throat> but literally, listen to this, in Romans 4.25, it says, He was delivered up for our transgressions, which means our sins. So the, the things that you've done that separated you from this side to the presence of God, that He was, ter- he was delivered up for our transpasses and raised for our justification. That right now, sitting in this room, we get the opportunity to say hello to a creator that not only designed us and made us who you are. And here here might be another swallow, hard thing to swallow, depending on where you are in your life right now. But God created you on purpose. It wasn't an accident. He didn't fall asleep one morning and be like, oh, man, if I would have been there, this wouldn't have happened. All of these things that are going on right now, God is orchestrating To lead us to potentially a moment that could happen right now. Of you finally saying, God, I want to be yours. Like, I'm sick. I I don't know if you've also noticed this, but living for ourselves rarely works out in our favor. Anybody else? Don't raise your hand. That's horrible because people that don't raise their hand and be like, hmm. But it rarely works out in our favor. I mean, if you've tried it, we rarely get what we think that we want. And then when we get the thing that we think we want, we're rarely happy with it. Instead of going, God, I can't do this. And I want you. I want you to lead me to life because that's his promise. John 10, 10, it says that he gave he came for us to have life and have life abundant. And so this morning, as we close, as we leave here on another Easter Sunday, I I bring you back to my point that I said at the beginning that today for Jesus, this was about sacrifice. 
Because someone had to be the sacrificial lamb, just like they celebrate in Passover. Someone has to take the penalty for your sin. And so it can be you at the end of your life to pay the penalty for your sin. You can take the punishment and live there. Or you can do the great exchange, which is this justification thing that we just talked about a second ago, and you can surrender. And say, God, I, I never could. And I never will. And I need you. And see, the beauty of the gospel is that it is folly. It is the it is the worst exchange. On our side, like what he gets, he gets us. It doesn't look like a good deal, but he died for that deal to be made. And this morning, you can literally enter into new life. You can, like 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, says that you can become a new creation today. Regardless of what you walked in here as, God can literally change that. And that does not happen by your effort or your energy. It happens by your surrender. And so where I want to land, where I want us to um, end at, I'm going to call our worship team back up, is asking one question. Truthfully. Have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you gotten, and the cross breeds clarity for the criminal. Because he was there, and I, I'm not sure how much clarity he had before that moment, but in that moment he got the clarity finally that it, it was me that brought me to this place. It was me that has missed the opportunity to be embraced by my Creator. And it gave him an opportunity to look at Jesus, maybe for the first time in his life, and surrender to something outside of him. And so as we close, as we go into our last song, have you surrendered? We're going to sing a song that is going to literally be the words. Are you trusting in Jesus to change your future? Are you trusting in Jesus so that when you get to heaven, you're not presenting God with a, a, you know, a file like Jesus. Look at all the good I've done. I volunteered at Reach Community Church for the last five years. I moved with this place, this to a new city and I helped plant a church and I've given. Here's my giving statements over the last six years. And here's my service hours. And, you know, I, I get baptized and this is happening. You know, there, if, if that's your hope. It's going to be a bad day for you. When you come face to face with God, he is not going to allow you to take out your resume. He's going to ask you one question. Who did you trust? For this. And the only answer of why he would allow you into his kingdom. Is because of the work, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And the reason why we have the opportunity to celebrate today, the reason why we have an opportunity, regardless of what life is doing around you to worship and to praise God is because the gift that he's given us, no one can take away. The gift that he's given us, we get to enjoy right now. And so as we worship, as we go into this last song, ask yourself, am I surrendering to the right thing? Because we're all giving up our life for something. 
Let's pray. Dearly Father, it is your mercy alone. It is the work of your Holy Spirit alone that draws men and women to you. Lord, I pray that the reality of the cross and the impact of the resurrection would hit us today. And not fuel a religious moment, not fuel a external like, oh, yes, this is a good moment. But really, Lord, I pray that you would allow it to rock us to the core. That we would have the moment that the thief had, that we would have the moment of going, God, I cannot, but you can. And I want to trust you with my life. And so, Lord, as this song progresses, regardless of where we're at, if we need to enter into the kingdom, if we finally get to go behind the curtain and enjoy the presence of God, Lord, I pray that that moment would hit with a gravity of the reality of what it actually is. And Lord, for us in this room that maybe have lost (laughs) that passion, lost that drive because of the life, Because of things going on in our world, Lord, I pray that you would pull us back in. That you would help us hit that redo button. So, God, I just want to start afresh today. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the only source of life. We acknowledge your words from John 14 that says you are the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Son. And Lord, today we worship the Son for what He has done for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that you use this as a catalyst to change our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.